Before we begin, let me take a moment to tell you what you're in for. The story I'm about to share with you comes from the universe of the Traveler's Gate trilogy by Will White, and only if you've read those books do you have the full training necessary to handle information from that realm. This story was previously released as part of the Traveler's Gate Chronicles short story collection, so if you've read that already, I have good news. You've already survived exposure to its incredible power. The only difference today is that you'll be experiencing it with your ears instead of your eyes. If you haven't read the Traveler's Gate books, you may not be able to harness the full energy of these stories. You can try if you'd like, but side effects of unqualified exposure may include confusion, lack of comprehension, or spontaneous combustion. If you're the kind of person that wants to prepare yourself and read the books first, you can find House of Blades, the first book in the Traveler's Gate trilogy, on Amazon or Audible. It will give you the guidance necessary to comprehend these stories without bleeding from the ears. However, if you know that you are unqualified and have decided that this story isn't for you, then we understand and wish you a fond farewell. May we meet again someday, you beautiful stranger. For those of you still with me, we're going together into the pieces of the Traveler's Gate world that weren't covered in the main books, unexplored and unknown corners of the territories. We're going off the edges of the map, and here, there be dragons. Maelstrom of Stone There is always time for patience. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 5, Green When Chloe etched the final rune into her knuckle-sized sapphire, it felt like being let out of prison. She dropped the sapphire, cut into two dozen facets, all covered in fresh, blocky runes, on her workbench, next to a sprawling collection of her tools. That's one sapphire heartstone done, she called into the swirling tunnels of her house. In record time. You should go ahead and retire. I'll take over for you. She always tried to make jokes when she needed to leave the house in a hurry. Sometimes she could slip away while her grandfather chuckled. Chloe pulled her padded leather jacket on with one hand and opened the door with the other. Maybe, if she were only quick enough, she could make it outside. The scuff of her grandfather's slippers behind her warned Chloe that she had been too slow. She spun around, favoring him with a bright smile. I was heading out, Grandfather. I mean, uh, Grandmaster Ornheim. Can I get you anything while I'm out? Something to eat, or... Chloe's grandfather, whose name was once Damon Eurasius, looked like nothing more than a village child's idea of a wizard. He sported a white beard long enough to reach his belt, had he worn one. But of course he didn't wear a belt, because that would mean foregoing his traditional thick brown robes. Rings of precious metals and gems flashed on each of his fingers. Plain half-silver bands, gold rings set with sunstone, rune-etched rubies, obsidian bands with small caps of iridian sand. On his face, as always, he wore that small, infuriating, invincible half-smile. Nothing will ever disturb me, his expression said. Nothing ever could. If gold coins rained from the sky, I would not laugh, and if the sun failed to rise, I would not weep. Grandmaster Ornheim laced his ring-speckled fingers together and fixed his granddaughter with the same not-quite smile. I am proud to be your grandfather, Chloe. You know that. But it is important for you to use my title. Chloe would be lucky to get out of this without a twenty-minute sermon on Enosh cultural propriety. I know that, Grandmaster. I apologize. 
The Grandmaster took no more notice of her words than a golem would have. Less notice if the golem were well made. Not even in private. Our habits in private never fail to carry over into the public sphere. Perhaps the reverse is true as well. Chloe snapped her fingers as though she had realized something. That would explain all the lectures. You don't give enough of them to your students, so all the undelivered speeches bubbling up within you must carry over into the private sphere. Her grandfather's patient smile didn't flicker. Your tolerance astounds me. You absorb every word of my wisdom with the patience of a mountain, and yet you still find time to put every one of your tools up in its proper place. How do you do it? She was becoming too predictable. He hadn't needed to glance over at the workbench. Chloe let her shoulders slump. She needed to show him that she wasn't happy about this and marched over to the workbench, hurriedly scooping up her tools and dumping them into the appropriate rack, drawer, or box. Grandmaster Ornheim strolled over to stand beside her, plucking her carved sapphire up from the surface of the workbench. This is functional, clean, I can see how this might work quite well, actually. Of course, Chloe said, but she couldn't help a little spark of pride. She had worked for hours on that heartstone after all, even if she hadn't done it willingly. Have you any thoughts on the golem? Oh, yes, hang on. After a moment, she found it, a glass jar of sparkling golden sand, iridian. She poured a handful of iridian into her hand, willing it into the air. A tendril of sand rose, following her thoughts, spreading out into a gleaming sheet of tiny stars. I was thinking something like a bird, you see? The sand condensed into a glittering model of a stationary bird. She wasn't sure what kind of bird it was. There were no birds native to Ornheim, so she had only ever seen them on trips outside. But this model looked like a bird to her. I'd like a light rock for the body, maybe something volcanic. I'm not sure. And the sky stones. Here, here, and here. At each word, a hole appeared in the iridian bird, one each at the tip of the tail and at the end of both wings. Before you say anything, I know it will be a little unbalanced, so I'd plan to put the heart stone here, in the middle of its back. Some of the spare iridian floated around the bird's back, encircling where the heart stone would go. This was the one part of the process in which Chloe had actually invested time and effort. Anyone could carve the runes of a heartstone. The process was mostly tedious memorization and hours of mindless drudgery. She would rather spend her time in the mines. Designing the golem itself, on the other hand, actually took a degree of creativity, even artistry. Plus, in her personal opinion, skystones were amazing. With only a little mental effort, an Ornheim traveler could make those little blue stones rise and hover in midair. She had begun practicing with sky stones since she had first felt her bond to Ornheim's vast stores of earth. Grandmaster Ornheim waved his hand, and the iridian wrenched itself from Chloe's control, flowing back into the jar in a sparkling golden river. One tendril of sand even reached back out and pulled the lid back on. Very good. You'll be ready to assemble your golem soon, but don't get ahead of yourself. You've got plenty of time. This from the man who would spend six weeks studying a block of marble before he first touched it with his chisel. Yes, Grandmaster. Before her grandfather could say anything else, Chloe turned and pulled open the door. Some of her friends were going beneath today, and if she was lucky, she might get there in time to join them. 
Grandmaster Ornheim's hand rested softly on her shoulder, and she almost screamed in frustration. I hope you're not leaving quite yet. No, I'm not, Chloe said, in the most unconvincing tone possible. You need to- Yes, I know, you tell me every time. The Grandmaster stroked his beard, always playing the venerable old teacher. You do? Then tell me, what must you do before leaving? Chloe almost started running. How far would she make it before her grandfather brought her back? It was an unfair thought, of course, since Grandmaster Ornheim would never physically stop her from leaving. His disapproval, along with the inevitable lecture when she returned, was enough to keep her in place. Besides, she owed him more than that, even if he sometimes made her want to slam her face into the side of a boulder. An Ornheim traveler must always stay and watch the cycle, she recited. It is by the flow of the maelstrom that our lives are guided, and we must respect that flow. Lest we be crushed beneath it, her grandfather finished. Sit, watch the cycle. The city beneath has existed for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years. It will still be there in an hour. An hour? In her estimation, she could learn the cycle safely in one look. It wasn't so much different from glancing at a clock. Not in principle, anyway. Chloe walked up to the edge of the cliff outside their house and leaned on the railing. Her home, like everyone's home here in Ornheim, was carved into the side of one of the more stable mountains. A path three or four paces wide stretched out from the front of the house like a porch, terminating in a seemingly endless drop down to Ornheim's dark surface. Only master-level Ornheim travelers were allowed to descend that far. Master Ornheim travelers, or those few who fell through the thin wooden safety railing. Chloe didn't spare much thought for the drop. She had lived with that threat for most of her life. Besides, she had better things to worry about. Above her whirled the maelstrom of stone, flying and dancing in an endless cycle. Rivers of shining golden iridium drifted by, twisting like giant ribbons on an invisible breeze. A star-shaped chunk of rose quartz the size of a barn rolled in a lazy orbit around an inverted mountain with a flat top. It looked like it had been torn up from the ground by the roots. As Chloe watched, she saw specks of blue flickering toward the bottom of the floating island. It must be kept aloft by veins of sky stone running all the way through its mountainous bulk. A stone titan plodded by, its craggy face almost as big as Chloe's mountain. Its dull eyes were fixed on some invisible point in the distance. Some people built villages on stone titans. They steered themselves around great danger and tended to visit water sources quite often. Chloe could never imagine living on a mountain that wasn't stationary herself. The sky of Ornheim remained in constant motion. There was no backdrop of sun or stars as there might have been in the world above, but layer after layer of spinning, walking, shifting, dancing, moving stone in every shape, size, and color. As legend told it, Ornheim was nothing more than an unimaginably vast cavern with a ceiling out there in the distance, but Chloe didn't place too much faith in the theory. For one thing, how would a roof that big stay up? After only a few minutes of staring out at the cycle, Chloe began to grow bored. The ribbons of Iridian circled her mountain, making a full round once every eight or nine minutes. The chunk of rose quartz, on the other hand, only took 28 seconds to encircle its island and was getting a little closer each time. 
The upside-down mountain seemed to drift randomly, though it looked mostly stable. The Rose Quartz Star and its inverted island would crash together eventually, though that was hardly remarkable. Rocks the size of small towns slammed into each other all the time here, with a noise like thunder. Nothing else even remotely interesting was happening nearby. She had a good grasp on the cycle, or at least the part of it affecting her. What was she going to gain by standing here waiting? The cycle took more than a few minutes to change. Chloe had almost turned away when she noticed a flash of green on the surface of the floating island, maybe fifty paces away. She spun back to look, since anything that deviated from the cycle was worth investigation. But the island's rose quartz moon quickly rose, blocking her view. She waited the next fourteen seconds in utter impatience, mentally begging the chunk of rock to hurry up and cross over to the other side so she could see what was happening on the island's surface. After the most agonizing quarter of a minute she could remember, Chloe almost cheered when the chunk of pink quartz floated to the other side. This time, she recognized what she had failed to notice before. The speck of green was not a rock formation, but a girl, a dark-haired, tan-skinned girl in a green dress. Chloe let out an involuntary gasp. There was a girl who looked to be less than Chloe's own age out in the maelstrom itself, alone. Even Grandmaster Ornheim would not have traveled beyond the mountain without a good reason and extensive preparation, and he likely would have brought help. The spiky ball of rose quartz floated by on another orbit, reminding Chloe it was going to crash into the island. It might take minutes, hours, or even a day, but when it eventually happened, the girl would die. Saints above, what am I supposed to do? Grandfather! Chloe screamed. She seemed unable to tear her eyes away from the girl in the green dress. No, I can't call him that. He won't answer. Grandmaster Ornheim! No response. Grandmaster! He may have left. That wouldn't be too unusual. He was a grandmaster after all. Ornheim was his backyard, and he could come and go as he pleased. Did she have time to go look for him? Did she have time not to? Her grandfather, she knew, would tell her to wait, observe. There is always time for patience. That was one of his favorite sayings. Another of his most common, you must learn the board before placing your first piece. Chloe respected her grandfather, and patience was the way of Ornheim. Carving a golem's heartstone took weeks, and building its body could take months. Learning to read the cycle took years. Learning to navigate the maelstrom took a lifetime. There were no shortcuts in Ornheim, and endurance always yielded results. But she could not justify doing nothing while a girl died in front of her eyes. She wasn't sure what exactly she could do, but surely something would be better than nothing. That, or it would result in two bodies lost on Ornheim's surface, instead of only one. One of the giant ribbons of Iridian floated by, and Chloe got a terrible idea. Before she could think about it too much, she vaulted over the railing and into empty space. For a sickening instant, her stomach lurched, and she wished with all her being that she could take it back. She was going to fall into the hazy brown distance, and while she didn't know exactly what waited on the ground, she was pretty sure she would get there by means of a sudden violent stop. In response to her mental screams, the river of Iridian flowed down and cushioned her fall. Not that it felt much like a cushion at all, really. 
It felt more like slamming face-first into a beach, but she would take what she could get. She had initially imagined using the Iridian to form a bridge and letting the girl cross. The problem was that a full bridge lay far beyond the scope of her abilities with the substance. Maybe Grandmaster Ornheim or one of his top students could do it, but Chloe certainly couldn't. Not yet. Commanding Iridian took great concentration and physical stamina, the demands on which increased exponentially when you tried to work at a distance. Chloe's only hope was to stick as close to the Iridian as possible, carrying herself over to the island, and then hopefully both of them back. Seconds in, she started to shake. It felt as though she had tried to drag a cart uphill. Soon after, she started to sweat. It shouldn't be this hard, she thought. Maybe I'm using too much power. Experimentally, she relaxed her mental grip on the sand. Immediately, the gritty golden cloud started to disperse, and she began to fall through. She tightened her grip once more before she had fallen more than a few inches. After about ten seconds of silent, terrified shaking, she got her flying carpet of sand moving once again. She didn't know how she made it. The Iridian River seemed to crawl forward an inch at a time, but she eventually covered the fifty paces to the island. She had imagined setting her floating platform down, reaching out to the girl in green, and the both of them flying gracefully back to the mountain. Instead, she let herself crash to the island's surface, the glittering golden sand drifting off like smoke to spiral through the air once more. Every muscle in her body hurt, as though she had run for days while carrying a sack of stones. Sweaty, shaking, and lying flat against the rock, Chloe barely managed to speak. I'm here to get you. The girl measured Chloe with dark eyes and then looked back up to the escaping sand. Do you have more of that? Between labored breaths, Chloe shook her head. Then it seems we're both stuck, the girl said, unless you have a golem nearby or some other plan I haven't thought of. She didn't seem nearly as panicked as Chloe thought she should be in this situation, nor as grateful as she'd hoped. I thought you would be scared. The other girl thought for a moment. My mother wouldn't be scared. She would say fear is a waste of energy. Chloe had finally started to get her breathing back under control. Your mother would get along well with my grandfather, I think. I'm Chloe. Deborah, daughter of Deborah. Deborah inclined her head formally, and Chloe did the same, as best she could while remaining face to face with the stone anyway. A shadow passed overhead, and Chloe knew it had to be their pink-hued moon. She raised one hand and pointed. That's going to crash into us at some point. Deborah followed Chloe's finger up. I had hoped I was imagining things. Well, no use waiting for it to happen. Maybe, if we work together, we can call the Iridian back. Not me, Chloe said. It's too far away, and I'm too tired from making it all the way over here. It would kill me. In truth, Chloe would try it if she had to, but she wasn't exaggerating when she said it would kill her. In her current condition, she was sure the Iridian would simply slip from her grasp and drop her. Deborah patted the stone on which she sat. There's plenty of sky stone here, but it's far too deep to do us any good. Chloe pressed her own palm against the rock and listened to the voice of the stone. It passed through her like a wave of distant whispers. There was indeed a vast network of sky stone here, as she had expected. Deborah was right, though, there was no way to pull even a single chunk of skystone up through such solid rock. 
We don't need a piece of Skystone, Chloe said. We need to use what's already here. We can fly the whole island. Deborah glanced over at the mountain, which seemed much farther away from this side. Skepticism was evident on her face. Even if we can activate so much Skystone, I can't steer it. I can, probably. Really? Deborah's eyebrows raised. Are you sure? Absolutely, Chloe said, assuming it's exactly like a theoretical Iridian bird. In true Ornheim fashion, the two travelers didn't act immediately. They sat there, waiting, for over half an hour. Partially, Chloe wanted to regain her strength before she tried activating and controlling whole veins of Skystone. She also wanted to give her grandfather time to show up and stage a miraculously timed rescue. After half an hour, though, neither of them could deny it any longer. The chunk of quartz was getting closer. Even now, if they timed the activation badly and lifted the island too quickly, they would slam themselves against the quartz. Seems like this is the time, Deborah said, as though she had checked a clock. She knelt, placing both palms flat against the rock. Chloe didn't have to imitate the other girl's pose, but she did so anyway. It seemed like a good position for speaking with the stone. Ready any time, she said, hoping it was true. She let her mind drift down into the jagged roots of the floating island, seeking Skystone. The blue stone webbed the inside of the inverted mountain, filling the ordinary rock like a bright blue skeleton. When the quartz passed by overhead once more, Deborah flared the Skystone. The veins flashed blue in Chloe's mind, and the island jerked upwards. No, not like that, Chloe thought. More like... She sent herself down into the rock and activated the Skystone on the far side of the island. It flared to life, pushing them forward and slightly up. They drifted closer to the mountain on their own momentum now. They might come in a little high, but Chloe would be more than willing to risk a broken leg by jumping down rather than a broken spine by falling. Above, Deborah shouted. Chloe jerked her head up to see the barn-sized star of rose quartz flying down at them like a colossal hammer. Together, the two young travelers flared the sky stone so hard they blasted toward the mountain, barely scraping by the quartz in time to avoid a titanic collision. And they were headed straight for the side of the mountain. Desperately, Chloe flared the sky stone closest to the mountain, trying to slow them to a safe speed. Deborah, on the other hand, had a different idea. She was trying to bring them higher, apparently so they could float safely over the peak. Chloe felt it would have worked out much better if they had worked together instead of moving in two different directions, but it certainly could have been worse. Their island came to rest above Chloe's mountain, hovering exactly over the highest peak. It worked, Chloe said, her voice filled with exhilaration. Yes, it did, Deborah agreed in much the same sound as a sigh of relief. Now, how do we get down? Deborah, as it turned out, was the daughter of the current overlord. During the two or three hours they had spent trapped on the same floating island, Chloe had never thought to ask Deborah where she lived. She had simply assumed Deborah was one of the many deserters Enosh received from the Damascan villages. Grandmaster Ornheim, once he found and rescued them, had known exactly what questions to ask. In short order and with impeccable manners, he had figured out precisely who Deborah, daughter of Deborah, was. When Chloe first heard the news, her first reaction was confusion. How could Deborah be an enemy? Chloe had risked her life to rescue the girl. 
Her second reaction was fear. Surely Grandmaster Ornheim would hold the young Deborah hostage against her mother's behavior. That was, if he didn't execute her outright. Instead, Chloe's grandfather sent a sapphire messenger golem to tell the overlord what had happened and to offer her daughter back. When the overlord and her entourage arrived, full of gratitude and words of friendship, Grandmaster Ornheim let out the longest speech he had delivered in weeks. He had been holding back. Chloe could tell. Within the lecture, he had a lot to say about the great cycle, about what it meant to be an Ornheim traveler, and, of course, about stone. Chloe's grandfather could never say more than three words together without talking about stone. She was just considering sneaking off when the sound of her name brought her back to her senses. Chloe has always had a problem with waiting. Listen, I always tell her, watch, be still, and think. These are good lessons, but there are other things worth learning as well, things that she teaches me. Chloe frowned. She couldn't remember ever teaching her grandfather anything in her life. She reminds me that certain situations call for action, not preparation. We can't always be perfectly informed or absolutely prepared. Sometimes we simply have to act. There are times when I forget that. If anything, today's events have shown us why we can't always wait for an opportunity. Every once in a while, we must seize whatever chance we can and hope for the best. Grandmaster Ornheim turned toward Chloe, a broad smile splitting his beard in half. For if we don't act when we need to, her grandfather said, then what were we waiting for in the first place? But sometimes there is no time for waiting. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 5, Green. Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was Maelstrom of Stone by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available on the day the Caterpillar of Ages consumes the last leaf on the sacred dawn tree. Until that time, remember, you may not be watching gnomes, but they're always watching you.